Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. Season 4 keeps plowing through on the Legends train. Um, I'm so happy to actually bring these two people on my show because uh, I've known Cliff for about three years now. Uh, and of course he's married to Marta, so they come as a package deal together, bless them. And um, I'm just really grateful that I've actually been able to reconnect with them. And he said yes to being on the show and so did Marta and it was amazing. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and preface this by saying, guys, I do have a wretched voice right now, just recovering from strep, and um, I don't want to cancel because <clears throat> I don't. I'll show up and do these. If I'm if I'm on my deathbed, I'll still be doing these shows. Uh, guys, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you guys being here. Hello. Thank yeah, you for thanks having for having us. And thank you for the commitment. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. you won't lose your voice completely halfway. <laughs> oh god, that'd be hilarious. If I do, you have full reign to make whatever up during the show. Holy shit, that could go anywhere. That would be incredible. <laughs> that'd be a lot of fun for me. Just real quick shout out though to the sponsor of the show. So we got adelmarcy.com. You guys can go check out the main website. Uh, go check out previous episodes there as well. Um, also check out theabrasiveentrepreneur.com. That's Shane Hunter's site. He sponsors us teaches you about Facebook ads and psychology. Also today we're sponsored by cliffandmarta.com. That's M-A-R-T-A.com. And that's Cliff with two Fs dot um, com. Check out their site. It is they, they have a 28-day uh, transformation. They have a 28-day program that uncorks so much of your life's potential. You'll gush out tears. Uh, pretty much virtually guaranteed, as they say. And you'll, you'll see their site. You'll know it's them because there's a cute little unicorn on their homepage <laughs> they're everywhere <laughs> yeah it's pretty pretty much like we we found it hilarious like you get two sides of it right you get like the unicorn people that embrace it and they're all out there and everything you get the you know complete skeptics who are like oh fuck it all them people in the unicorns we're like we have great results and we love unicorns so we're, we're just gonna have it. both like we just we have it all over our website just for a laugh oh for sure and also guys if you've heard the show that i did in january uh 2018 with the one and only justin devonshire Justin actually mentions Cliff and Martyrs and being the clients that everyone thought they were a bit woo-woo and loving unicorns. So for fun, they decided to embrace it and actually include it in the marketing. And exactly. that's how it's here today. So I guess the first thing I really want to talk about, it, uh, talk about the um, idea of when I knew you guys is you guys went from seemingly struggling, um, not really being able to help other people, but not help yourselves to drastically shifting that where you're able to do so much more in your life and help so many more people. What was the shift? Do you know what? Let's just start with the fact that it wasn't seemingly struggling. We were fucked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the thing is, is that I, I, I don't know necessarily there was one tipping point. I feel one of the things no, we always coach around is that it's kind of in layers. And you can only go on them layers based on your awareness, right? And we'd got right. to a point of pain at several different times in our life where the pain was just much greater than the benefit of staying where we were. So, you know, from health issues to psychological issues, as much as it was anything. And, you know, it's just been, for me personally, it's been a, you know, a, an upward journey since 2009, um, I would say, like, from when I first started to have any awareness that I could change my circumstances. See, the thing is that, like, people interpret things like an upward, downward spiral and, and that life goes in ups and downs. And it's just so multidimensional that for us to simply interpret something as a downward spiral and then to say that something's been on the upward spiral ever since then or whatever, it's just, it's just 
stopping people from understanding of how much more exciting life actually is than just being up and down. And again, you know, it's not been an overnight shift for me, for Cliff, any of our clients and the guys that we work with. It's a process of exploration where you get to the point to start with. It's just too fucking painful to stay where you were. And then you get to understand and you learn to understand if you choose to, obviously, that anything that might seem like a downer moment is actually a gift for you to see something that you no longer want in your life and you can do something about it because if that shit didn't happen, how else would you know that it's there and that you can do something about it? Do you see what I mean? So it's actually getting to the point where you fucking celebrate a shitty moment because you know like, holy shit, I'm discovering something I don't like anymore and I can change it. See, that's pretty awesome. I like that idea and Cliff, something that you actually told me as well to do when we had this conversation was just the five minute exercise of writing out who I, just ask the question, who am I? And just keep writing for like five minutes and see what comes up. And that was- Some some surprising stuff comes out, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I realized that uh, I had split personalities, which is hilarious. Um, yeah, I say that jokingly. By what I mean by that, to the audience members that are also psychologists, because I know a few out there have written to me before. Um, what I mean by that is, I just wrote down. I kept writing, up, saying the words "you" and changing between "you," "me," and "I" constantly mm-hmm. throughout my or "we" throughout like yeah. all my own writing, which was funny as shit to me. And obviously now I don't yeah. have that, but it was a, a fun little moment in its own right. Now, something I do want to jump away from and I know it's going to sound really weird but it's a it's a thought pro- it's a question that just came up I had to ask how did you two meet because Cliff you started in like 2009 Marta what's your story and how did you two actually meet we actually met in 2009 um, Cliff was working in finance then I was working in corporate recruitment and we both left we didn't know each other then we left our uh, careers in inverted commas and yeah. we laugh now and we uh, both signed up to a personal training qualification. We were on two diff- in two different groups. Mine started in March and Cliff started in April. So he was a month behind me. But we were at the same uh, training facility, if you like. And that's when we met, actually. And it wasn't towards the end of our respective courses. I think about June or July where we um, actually started talking. And it's just history from there. Yeah. Well, like nearly nine years on, right? Yeah, nine years wow. nearly now. So, yeah. Well, the thing is, I think one of the, you know, the pivotal moments for us when we met was it wasn't a date. We always, I always say this to Marta. She was like, it is. I was like, it wasn't. So basically, we we agreed to meet (laughs) up for dinner. uh, And uh, it ended up just us being in London. We we went down by the River Thames and we just sat on a bench, didn't we? And literally, we were there for hours hours and hours and hours. And I kind of just shared my whole story, which is lengthy uh, for people that don't know it. And then, you know, Marta shared hers and, you know, like from a point of view of having a connection with someone and feeling that you've had a connection with someone. I think we both knew at that moment there was something more on this path than we were probably realizing. And we didn't have the kind of awareness we have now uh, to kind of have hindsight and look back at it. But just at the moment, it felt significant. So I feel that kind of pin pinned in uh, the journey that we're now on. That's incredible. I love how you two both agree and disagree. It was, like, it was a date. It was not a date. We always get into that conversation. Yeah. We, we just have fun with it. As, as it is. So I guess the, the question that really lends itself here is for the people that don't know your story, Cliff, and or your story, Marta, could you guys actually share your respective stories, please? Well, I'm going to give you, like, the super, like, 
fast forward 0.8 kind of version of it because otherwise we'd be here forever. So essentially I was born, uh, had an extra vertebrae in my spine. Uh, they didn't find it for the first three months and then they did. And then I had three major operations before I was 18 months. And then after that, I had to wear like a brace around my back for a whole year, two of them actually, um, to stabilize my spine. And long story short, they ended up doubly fusing my thoracic spine, which is your middle spine basically, to stop the curve. Uh, so I lost six inches of height from that. But, you know, I, I get to be grateful for that because the alternative to that was being in a wheelchair my whole life and I'm not. So, you know, I, you know, I see the benefit and the gift in that now. Um, I had quite a lot of pain all the way as I was growing up. Um, and then when I was 15, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease uh, called ulcerative colitis. Yeah, which is it's pretty rough. Um, but, you know, I've been symptom medication free for like over eight years now. So it's something of the past I can look on. Yep. Um, and then 17, diagnosed with a brain tumor. Uh, 18, meningitis of the brain. And then after that, all the way into my 20s, several parasites, infections, bacterial issues and stuff as well. So mine has been a lot more physically testing, I would say, my past that has shaped the journey I'm now on with assisting people. Um, but yeah, as I started unlocking a lot more understanding of who I am and why I chose to be that person, it very quickly uh, started underpinning a lot of the physiological issues I had as well. That's incredible. And just a real quick note before we jump onto your story, Marta, it's crazy when you get told that you have ulcerative colitis, how quickly they make it feel like you have a death sentence. Oh, absolutely. Because when they told me I had that, I got told I had cancer twice, three mm -hmm. months apart after getting told I had ulcerative colitis. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, um, you know, I've dealt with, I don't know how many people with it, but a lot of people with it. Yeah. And um, one of the things that's always consistent is that it's, it's not the easiest thing to diagnose straight out of the gate yeah. um, because of the wide array of symptomology. You know, if anyone starts bleeding from their back passage, like that's pretty worrying from a cancer marker point of view, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So they then obviously start running them tests as defaults and all that kind of stuff to rule it out because that's the most severe immediate thing they can think of. And then they have to work backwards from there. But, you know, I've worked with so many people that have had ulcerative colitis or Crohn's or um, celiac or whatever it might be. And the the time to get diagnosed and how many specialists it takes is pretty scary. Oh, yeah, definitely. Plus, also, you have the uh, whole situation, which has always made me smile, where they make you wait while you've got IBS. Yeah. yeah. They're like, yeah. no, we're not going to treat this. We'll just let it keep going. You're like, really? Yeah. Thanks, guys. The what I was going to say was just for the people listening out there, you can be symptom-free and medicine free from it just by simply looking at what your triggers are and for me it was high stress situations yeah absolutely well one of the one of uh, the biggest things for me is that and apart from having a horrendous diet of all the crappy food in the world all the alcohol and the occasional recreational drugs like that was part of it but that's a stress on the body in itself right people look as stress as i'm not stressed like i've not had an argument today or whatever it might be but it's the underlying force that are constantly playing at us. Like we can constantly say, oh yeah, I'm a great person. But if the energy of pretty much every day is that we don't think we are, that's a significant stress on our physiology as much as anything, right? And so, you know, 
stresses come from so many different directions. And like you said, from, you know, being stressed out was one of your biggest triggers. And that for me as well, my low self-worth and, you know, what I really thought about myself was probably some of my biggest triggers up there with food and, you know, poor lifestyle choices. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things I totally understand and again, can relate to. But again, once you start making those changes, it shifts. Now let's moving, moving away from our bowels and shit talk and all the other fun stuff to something slightly more fun, which is Martha's backstory. <laughs> is it more fun? I don't know. It's just it a could... shit, a, a physical shit, but more in the, the head, uh, head stuff and emotional stuff, even though that was underpinned by a nasty parasite as well, which I only found out you know, years after I actually um, caught that little friend um, that resided in my guts for a little while. But Yikes. really, I turned up in in the UK, in London, at the Victoria train station and bus station on the bus after 26 hours um, on said bus from Poland, where I'm originally from. In, that was in August 2004. And I had two suitcases with me and 300 pounds in my pocket. And I had no idea how much that was at the time. Uh, it lasted me about a week, maybe. If that. <laughs> um, and that was literally just after after graduating, finishing my degree in, in tourism and travel management. And um, we basically got a little bit screwed over because I was meant to go and work in Egypt as a tour rep for, for a while. I went into like um, a training course and whatever earlier that year in Egypt and the company that was meant to fly us over there um, for the, the summer season to work basically went bust just before we were meant to go. So we didn't have anywhere to go to work. And I had to borrow the money for that course. It was quite a lot of money. I, I did get the money of my um, friend at the time because my mom and dad just didn't have it. Um, so I thought, shit, how am I ever going to give it back to him if I actually stay in Poland and try to um, get the cash? It was just at that time to to me was just not doable. And I was like, okay, we've just joined European Union. Fuck it. Let's pack my bags and go and have a look. And I just basically never went back. <laughs> um, and through those those times, people very often say London will either make you or break you. So from, you know, selling scarves on the Strand in a Turkish pop-up store and in Brixton. And, you know, if people know Brixton at the time wasn't the nicest part of London um, in the early 2000s. So from that to working in all sorts of different jobs, from selling to reception to restaurants and all sorts of stuff, I then eventually ended up doing a personal training course in 2009 after several friends that started training with me because I was training at the time myself just for myself really to start feeling better from I'll get into why in a second um several friends just said you know I think this is something that you could really help people with and I felt a really strong pull and I just signed up for that course intuitively and from then on I literally started trusting and and paying attention to my intuition even more so and all my work is underpinned by my intuition but really how I got to that point was dealing with horrid panic attacks which were emotionally driven but also the parasite that I mentioned and just depression on and off it was literally like a vicious cycle for years since I practically moved to the UK it was that kind of cycle okay is London gonna make you or break you but I didn't realize at the time that it wasn't London it was me um, that obviously I had to look have a deep look at myself at the time and I was blaming it on my dad 
drinking when when I was a kid and never being at home or being drunk out of his face then I was blaming it on my mum not really speaking openly and sharing her feelings and not communicating a lot with me and then me not really speaking to my brother that much and it was always that blame game onto someone else or something else outside of me before I actually sat down and had a look at myself and actually asked myself a question well what is it that you're actually doing you're drinking you're getting shit-faced you're going out you're taking drugs and things like that and it got me to the point where I was not just exhausted from from that, but exhausted from constantly blaming the world and everyone around me, to then thinking, well, I've got nowhere else to go, so I finally get to take a deep look at myself. Um, and it just evolved from there when I actually swallowed probably the hardest pill that I had to swallow and, and realized that it was me and I, I get to take responsibility for my choices in my life. That's when things really started shifting. So if we were to go back to your previous question and really want to pin it down to, to a moment, that would be the moment where I've almost gained the initial awareness, holy shit, that's that's me who's responsible for this. And then it was a question of, okay, so what are you going to do about it? But then after that, there was there's several moments and there continue to be several moments in my life where I get to either explore something or take even more responsibility. And that's what leads led me really to where I am right now. See, that's incredible. I love it when people take responsibility for the situations they're in. And something I want to really congratulate you on, and I say this because I know people uh, who are the opposite, and that is you came to a situation where life kind of gave you a really shitty hand. More not really, not even just that. They just gave you a hand and you were like, okay, I have two options. I can blow all my money in a week and then decide to go home or move out of London or do whatever it is. Or I can work and you decide to work. And the reason I bring that up is because a lot of people I know don't. Like, they'll have a situation and they'll want to give up. They'll want to give up right away without even um, giving it a fair shot, if that makes sense. Yeah. And But, you know, the thing is that it's not even like blowing all my money away in a week. It was like just so very little that I had no idea how expensive life in London was. Because the conversion oh. rate at the time was, I think, six to one between pound and, and polish money and i just i had the 300 quid to me it was a small fortune and i've never had that much money in my pocket ever oh. before but when i actually got to london it didn't even last it wasn't enough for me to put down a deposit on a place to live which was fucking horrible <laughs> anyway <laughs> just thinking about where i used to live but at the time i just i made it happen do you see what yeah. i mean i cleaned the place to start with before moving in I asked the dude can I clean the place and make it you know half of my deposit worth half of my deposit and he said yes well someone has to clean it so if you want to you can do it so just there was always just something there that I would I'll just make shit work if I wanted to and if it felt that this is what I was meant to do I'll just make it work see that's what I mean though and sorry about the whole miscommunication that way meant by blowing it in a week no no no, no. I, I, you know I just wanted to, to clarify that because yeah. it was an important part for me where I had a reality check, you know, something that in Poland was a fucking fortune. I go to London and it lasts me just a week, like on some basic food and I couldn't even put the deposit down on the place to live. That was a shithole. And I, it, it was a reality check. And I had a, like you said, I had a choice. Do I just go back literally 48 hours, not even 24 hours after arriving in London, I was crying and saying, I want to go back to, to my mom just to give me a cuddle do you see what i mean but i was like well is that really your choice yeah no i i totally agree with you on that because i've 
had that. I mean, I currently live in Soho in London right now, and yeah. I remember the first because I moved to London under really weird circumstances. I made a lot of money to move to London because um, I had a deal with my landlord where I could pay six months of my rent upfront and then I get a really good discounted rate on my rent. <clears throat> and it was, it was about my monthly rent is three times more than anywhere I've paid before. Yeah, yeah, it's London, right? Right, <laughs> and it's smaller than anywhere else I've lived. But yeah, I love it God. because it, it, <laughs> it is where it is. I love the location. Now, <clears throat> moving here was quite weird because I managed to do this great thing where I managed to get six months worth of rent immediately, uh, mm. which if you look at the example is almost a year and a half of rent elsewhere. That's oh, easy. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's crazy. So I'm move, uh, moving here and then the banks kind of see the char- the money come into my account, but they thought it was fraudulent. So they put a hold on it. The, I can't start the client work until the money's paid through to my account. They get annoyed, so they refund, and the money goes back to my clients' accounts. And they decide they don't want to run the campaign with me. <clears throat> so I've got zero money, and I've got zero ways of money coming in. And I'm in London, and I owe this landlord money. And he was really cool with letting me just, you know, work off as much as I can while I was here. But it was in that same time where I think the first month, I didn't, I didn't pick up my phone. I never answered the door. I always pretended I wasn't in. I rarely went out. I didn't know where to get food from. And I didn't really know my way around the neighborhood. And this is from someone that lived in a really small city of uh, 300,000 people. And Soho, you see up to a million people a day. If not more. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah like absolutely. Mind, mind-bending. But now it's become so normal that it's different. It's like you can't go the other way. Now... That brings me to a question I did have on the idea of normalization. Because this is an idea that I believe in. That once you hit a certain number of, uh, a certain type of wealth, and that's financial health, it's a holistic wealth, basically, is what I'm saying. Um, you become accustomed to it after you hit a certain, after you hit that level a couple of times, if that makes sense. Like, for instance, if you weigh the same, if you earn the same, if you eat the same if you dress the same if you're around the same people you kind of normalize the level you're at now for you guys my question is here how what needs to take place in order for that normalization to happen if it's a new level for you to get to do you know what it's even on the internal game side it's that normalization gets to happen before it actually shows up fully in our existence it's almost like there might be a few glimpses here and there but if we notice that we might pull back or freak out and go shit is this really happening it's almost like we cut the cord and it's like it's gone it's like a bubble burst and it's not there anymore because until we believe that this is the new normal it can't be our new normal permanently and then allow the next level next opening whatever it is to come through whenever it's meant to yeah and i think another thing to add to that as well is is when you consider like business owners, entrepreneurs, people like this, you know, that the whole talk is, you know, being around people that inspire you and, you know, hang out, pay to play and all this kind of stuff, right? But that's all great in practice, but the actual thing around it is that most people have a deep sense of feeling like an imposter or a fraud or not good enough, self-worth issues, so that even though consciously in their head, they're like, well, I need to be in this room with these people and talk to these people in order for me to grow and expand my comfort zone. 
they won't necessarily allow themselves to do it because the human fear of rejection is so much greater than the perceived win for so many people. And that's why I like to answer what you were talking about earlier, why some people just won't do it, some people will. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that I think there's something driving certain people, uh, yourself, me, Marta, other people that have something just inside of them that, you know, I was just speaking to a personal client um, before this call and she has that same thing where she was like, I've got to a point where I've just got to make a choice. You know, she was in a very high corporate job, she was earning good money, she's gone self-employed and you know when we first ever met her she was earning pretty poor money just starting really and she had a lot of internal battles going on and so between both me and Mark we work with it and you know she's got to this point where she's like I'm fully committed and I know why I'm fully committed she was like there's something pulling me over and above what I can necessarily understand yeah understand but it's there does that make sense I feel some of the you know we're we're um, at an event uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and you see it everywhere. Like I was at the uh, party yesterday, and like the amount of people just standing on their own, and you know in their head you can see it all over their face. They just want to connect with someone. They're looking to move to a level, or they believe the result if they speak to someone would change them in some way, shape, or form. But as Marta so beautifully said, if they're not being the person first that believes they're worthy to be in the room or speak to the people or to have the conversations, everything's going to feel like a force, if that makes sense. Uh Uh-huh. That is incredible. But you know what? There is also what just came to me. It's there is the day-to-day aspect of that normalization process because you can be spiritual, you can do all the airy-fairy woo stuff, which is important when you look at it holistically, right? All of those aspects of us are important. But just day-to-day is just being curious and observing to what's happening. And if something over and above of what your normal was up until now comes into your experience, meeting a person that, for example, is an inspiration to you and you put them up on a pedestal in the past, but now they're actually having a conversation with you or there is more money coming in or your your health improves significantly and it's not something that you're used to is observing your response to it, how you respond to it. Do you take it in your stride? Do you feel comfortable with it? Do you have massive freak out moments? Is there just moments where it might take your breath away but then you just breathe through it and you go with it because that's really important in terms of whether it's actually going to remain as your new normal the new level that you're operating at or whether it's going to be like when people often say oh that's once in a lifetime traveling to a distant place for example once in a lifetime well would you want it to be once in a lifetime or would you want that to be your normal actually well it's also i think it's the it's the labeling of how big people perceive steps to be yeah so like for instance so we're at this event and you know people naturally ask where you're from and i'm like oh we've you know we've just come to san diego we've been here like two weeks like, oh, well, how long are you here for? We're like, well, you know, six months, we know at the moment that's our visa and we work out from there. And they're like, where did you come from? We're like, Cyprus. And like, wow, that's like a long way. Like, it's a big move. And we're like, no, not really. Like, it was just, it was our choice. Like, it felt like the right thing for us. But people thinking moving continent and chipping your dog and chipping all your life out and all this kind of stuff is big stuff, right? But yet, it's all perception. What is big for someone else is tiny for someone else. Does that make sense? And I feel, you know, what you were talking about earlier about, you know, normalizing things, it's it's really questioning them perceptions of why we 
believe something to be true because you know i saw someone speak on stage yesterday and you know they did 38 million dollars in sales yesterday but the truth of the matter not is yesterday in the last year um and they were speaking about it yesterday and when i spoke to them um at the dinner yesterday all they want to do is just have a laugh do you know yeah. what I mean? They just they just want to connect with people. They don't want to talk about that. That is their business, and they're great at it. It's their gift. But yet they they they're just like any other human. We just want connection. We just want to be liked. Like you see what I mean? Like that's the underarching thing. And I feel the more we can break down barriers of what success is or how we define it, because you know, especially in the business realms, it's you know, success is defined by you know, if you're a six figure, a seven figure, an eight nine figure earner. When the reality is, you know, you could be an eight-figure earner, but have eight-figure costs, so you're pretty much broke. Yep. You see what I mean? So, you know, no one really talks about that stuff. Yeah, I always find that really strange. I'm like, you want to be profitable, but you also want to have fun. It's um, see the way I measure success for not just myself, but for my friends, and they know this is how we virtually do it. Is how much time do we spend doing what we love? Yeah. I mean, if your business if your business is what you love, that's great but how your other wells like for me i love my business i love rising advertising i love doing the podcast but my tr one of my true passions is jujitsu how much if i'm not spending at least um let me see 90 minutes by five oops that's what three well three hours six hours if i'm not spending a minimum of seven and a half hours a week in the gym training and doing jujitsu I'm not doing my business right. That's an indication for me. It's like mm -hmm. if I'm not spending, if I'm spending more time at home than more time at the gym or with my friends or doing these crazy things, it's not fulfillment for me. But it's true. You always want connection. It's what we look at. Yeah, it's important to understand even the concept of of balance, right? It's so individual for every single one of us. It's finding your balance, what feels good for you. And even over the last couple of days, Cliff and I had conversations about it that we focused so much on feeling balanced that we forgot essentially that a balance comes from two opposite ends of the spectrum and everything in between. And we realized that we were, yeah, 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 just, just chill, just chill, focus, focus, balance, balance. And then where's the fucking excitement? Like this is so important because you forget yourself in the process. Yeah, super important. I know it's also the thing is, is that I think one of the misconceptions within entrepreneurial world, for instance, is a big one is how we define work. Because like people define work as sitting behind a laptop or, you know, being at an event or writing or doing whatever your craft is. And that is a type of work. Yeah. But yet work is also the same as doing the work is almost doing the same as putting decent food in your mouth and getting to the gym, doing your jujitsu, doing things that are the work, the inner work, essentially, that allows you to do the outer work, which is your business, which allows you to bring in the money, right? Right. But everyone's like, yeah, but when I have the business, then I'll go back and look after the body. I'm like, it doesn't work that way around. I've never met one person who pulls that off. Yeah. And if they do, usually it comes back to bite them in the ass. Oh, yeah. Well, I would say they've never pulled it off long term. Like, you see people like, yeah, well, I pull it off. And I'm like, mm, well, <laughs> there, there's, it's, it's almost the... You know, you can't tell someone what's right for them. Like, it, it has to be their choice to choose into it, right? Of right. what they believe they want to change. Like, if someone says to me, working for me, I'm not going to tell them it's not. 
Yeah. This is what I mean. Like, unless they come to me and ask for an opinion, I'm like, okay, well, let's have a look at your results in all areas of life. And it's like, what does your wife think of you working 15 hours a day? Or, this is what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things. God, I love it. So, now, I guess one of my favorite questions as we're coming up to this in the show is really understanding what you guys actually do in your balance time. Like, what are some things that you guys do just kind of like to relax and recharge? What do I do? I adore painting in watercolors. I could just sit and do it for hours. And openly and honestly, I do sometimes not allow myself to because, oh, I have to do this or this, this or that. Bullshit stories, right? But I absolutely adore painting. I just love reading and exploring different concepts. Like, you know, that's a beautiful aspect that I then tie back into the work that I do with our clients, that this is part of me actually balancing out and recharging, putting complex concepts in into a, a perspective for people to understand and bring bring it down to to day-to-day almost understanding and level. So I do loads of that and just walking and being in nature, anything like that is, oh, anything where I can reconnect with myself, I guess. That's amazing. What about you, Cliff? Probably my go-to is something like golf. Like that's my, that's the time where like I'm in a place of just presence, if that makes sense. And just like Marta, like I can absolutely self-sabotage myself and convince myself that I need to be doing a million other things mm-hmm. other than going to do it for sure. Um, but yeah, golf is, is generally the thing that whether I'm, you know, whether it's playing just literally by myself on the course or whether it's with one, two, three other people, like it's just equally the same because the thing what I love about golf is that in the moment when you're swinging the club and you're doing the shot, you can't be anywhere else. Like you can only be in that moment of literally fulfilling that swing and you'll know how present you were in that moment because of how the shot goes. And the, the thing is, I'm, I'm, I'm an okay golfer. I'm well, shut above up. average. You're really good at it. Yeah, I'm above average of golf. So the thing is, is that I, I know what it's like to hit a ball cleanly. I know what it's like to hit a good shot and all that kind of good stuff. So, you know, I'm able to measure my level of presence by how the shot goes, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, you know, okay, if if I knock it a little bit too far out, I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, if, you know, I, if I completely shank it across the floor, then I definitely wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does that make sense? Entirely. I mean, I think everyone has that with their levels of genius, where they're at with what they're doing. And it's quite interesting you bring up golf because I've never actually played regular golf. I've only played like mini golf. Uh-huh. I swear to God, that game is the most frustrating thing I've ever played. <laughs> yeah, it's because you're pretty much like putting on glass because yeah. they put you on like some AstroTurf kind of stuff. It's like, it's pretty much a no-win game. <laughs> oh, pretty much. It's And again, because I'm competitive, it it doesn't help the person that you, I went uh, golfing with, like mini golfing with is as competitive as me but she is yeah. i don't taunt and gloat she does yeah so like <laughs> any any shot she makes greatest shot ever if i'm if i'm up she'll make fun of me like drop a little bit i'm like psychological warfare is what she does <laughs> it's like sledging like in cricket right just yeah. standing behind you just whispering in your ear it's like <laughs> see if we can put you up it's fine though. I usually get them back at jujitsu because I, well, I'm taller and stronger than they are. So I'll just put them in submissions and be like, "Hey, that time you beat me in mini golf, yeah, this yeah, negates all. Of, no, this <laughs> negates all of it because you suck." 
They're like, <laughs> and, and they just like, they don't want to tap out, but they're like, if I don't tap, I'll choke. So they're like, I'll tap. I'm like, told you, if you tap, you basically admit I was right. And then, <laughs> I love that. It's the best. Yeah. I got that from, I, I should admit, I, I got that from my old coach from uh, about four or five years ago. He used to do this and he would do it. He did it to me. It was like, remember how you said that this was right? Yeah. Well, I'm going to tap you out. And now that means I'm right. I'm like, bastard. But he's one of my best friends, so it was all good. Um, there you go. So, like, with one of my favorite questions, again, with the show, is this ideal of um, asking, what are your favorite books? Now, I have a parameter on this, because I'm realizing more and more people don't read as much nonfiction as they used to. So I'm going to ask, you have the option here. It could be a, it's two books, the nonfiction and then one book that's either uh, one of them one one of the the third book is either a fiction book or a fictional movie. So you have a choice there. So it's two nonfiction books and one fictional movie or a fictional book. And that is a very restrictive choice. <laughs> I'm just looking at about ten books at the moment. <laughs> uh-huh. There's a very specific reason I made it very restrictive. Okay. But so you got, be... but you guys get like two each. You guys get okay. like four books there. See bonus. No. Bonus. Yeah. I'm gonna be cheeky here and actually I'll say that the number one probably favourite will be all the conversations with God because that was like a freaking awakening for me reading those books. The book one was the first one I read and that was just like <clears throat> mind bent completely. Um and you know, any and every question about humanity that you can possibly ask why we're here, what we're here for, what is this whole thing about with the universe? Like it's all there and it's nothing to do with the God that people might perceive it as in religion and things like that is just fascinating. So book number one was the first one that I read, but the whole series of the books is fascinating. And then um, the second nonfiction that's a bit of a challenge. I guess, you know, the thing is that it was good fun reading that, The E Squared by Pangrout. That was the very first book around mindset that I read when I was completely oblivious how powerful actually that is. And just playing with it and having fun. It's something that if we get clients that are quite new to the whole, you know, taking responsibility, understanding the power of their mind and their thoughts, we get them to read that. And then fiction books... I love anything by Douglas Kennedy, and I'm just thinking which one was my favorite. Oh, can't remember the title, but that was the one that was in Australia, I think. The just the dude writes such incredible fiction, and it's travel based, which I absolutely adore. And the stories that he comes up with, I'm thinking, like, what mind do you have to have to be able to write that? I'll let Cliff answer the question and I'll find the specific one that I'm talking about. But again, I'm yeah. being cheeky because it's every one of his book that, books that I actually <laughs> loved. But that specific one is my favorite, so I'll find it. Awesome. So I probably would say the one that's had the most impact on me, uh, and this is not really in chronological order, but it was the one that probably felt the most significant was The Power of Now. Um, Eckhart Tolle. Um, that was probably the one that. Well, Mar always says she woke up to a different husband when I read yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was it. Was pretty impactful. That I was just at a moment of readiness to get it because we'd had that book for a long time before I'd even looked at it. Um, yeah. And so I read that. That was one. And then another one, and it's actually sitting there. Actually, is um, the Soul of Money. Um, okay. 
think so many people have so many fucked up beliefs with money, what it is, what it isn't, what it's there for. And so many people let something that's essentially paper and coins rule their life. And they, they don't really understand the scarcity mindsets that we're sold. And um, Lynn Twist, who is, um, she was a big, I suppose a big activist, but she was also a big fundraiser for just huge, huge um, projects and things that she was part of in order to uh, wipe out kind of world hunger and stuff like this. And uh, she talks incredibly well in there. And, you know, I recommend that book to everyone who thinks they have shit with money um, because it talks about um, the freaky uh, scarcity myths um, around money, um, which uh, everyone, all of us fall into them at one time or another. And then also, uh, it also talks about sufficiency how we can start changing a mindset around money to sufficiency and not this uh, uh, way of consumption because of our lack-based mindset. Like me and Mara are completely open to the abundance. You know, we live in California and, you know, live a great life and all that kind of stuff. And so we're open to receiving it, but yet it's not the definition of self, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that book as well. Um, with regards to fiction, I honestly can't think of something off the top of my head. What about a film? Film. Hmm. No, I genuinely can't think of something off the top of my head. Oh, come on. The Shawshank Redemption, is that based Shawshank on a true story? Shawshank Redemption, is it based on a true story? Yeah, that was pretty impactful. Is it based on a true story? I'm not sure. I don't know. I'll go with that. But that yeah. is something that we've yeah. watched probably a bazaar. Yeah, I've watched that film millions of times. Maybe millions, slight exaggeration. Sure. <laughs> a lot. lot. I've seen a lot. Yeah, I've seen a lot. Yeah. So the book I mentioned by Douglas Kennedy is The Dead Heart. That's the, the one that I think was the most impactful. Um, I loved it. And any other book by him is just, I normally, if in, term, in terms of nonfiction, I take my time because I consume that as, as content then for my work. Like I said, okay. like I absolutely adore deconstructing seemingly complex concepts and and linking different people's opinions and methodologies into something that I then make my own and bring it to our client's life. So it takes me a while to go through a nonfiction book um, because it's almost like self-study process. But with Douglas Kennedy's books, I just swallow it up in like a couple of days and it's gone. And I'm like, how the fuck can I be reading one in like a year and the other one in two days? I know that feeling. I had that with. Oops, uh, I'm not, a, I'm not a mala on my own. Thank you for the connection. Oh, no, I validated myself. I'm like that with. Uh, so I something that uh, some some of my listeners know is I actually write crime fiction as well. Ah. Oh, um, nice. On the side, and I've got like three books coming out in the next two years, um, like published ones, like out, out on a pen name. I don't use my real name with that kind of stuff because it's quite gruesome. Um, so when I was writing the first one, like I gave a, a, the treatment, like the rough draft to a friend and this is a friend that's known me for years. And they looked at me and went, dude, I don't know if we can be friends anymore. I was like, Wait, this is just like, this is really gory and disgusting. I was like, but given the situation, would you not be? And they're like, yeah, it makes sense. You're writing about a psychopath. Of course it's going to be crazy. I'm like, exactly. Um, but the reason I bring that up is because there's an author called Chris Carter who actually validated uh, the level of brutality 
that point to my books because no other crime books I'd read actually um, put put that level of thought in. And Chris is a former LAPD um, criminal psychologist. And he used to, like, you know, sit down and interview psych, uh, psychopaths and get into their heads and find out what they did and serial murderers and stuff like that, serial killers. And um, Chris's book, the, what was it, The Crucifix Killer, was the first one I read. I hand that to every student that comes to me for copywriting as the first book they should read. And they're like, why? I'm like, you'll, if you can get through this, you'll realize you'll get through this quite a big book for me. It's about three, 400 pages. Um, and again, I'm dyslexic, so it's funny as hell to me when I read through this. It took me um, two days to read the full book. Like, cover to cover, start to finish. Yeah. And I'm a huge fan of spoilers, by the way. I will go online and look at a spoiler before I go watch the movie. It doesn't bother me. I love spoilers. This is the first time I read a book where I didn't actually want to know the ending until I got to the ending. Nice. Holy crazy. fuck, I'm just looking at Google Books and the first one, two, three, three and a half lines. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> yeah, how crazy is that book, right? Just almost oh immediately. God. But the first yeah. couple, like the first couple of, uh, the first three pages, it was the only time he's done this in a book where he's kind of future paced the story um, yeah. in it. But if you go to chapter two, that's where it really kicks off and you're like, oh, okay, cool. I get what's going on. And then it just starts clicking and he has amazing setups throughout his entire books. Um, one of his books stopped me from reading for a while. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I just love the fact that you can actually pick up a fiction book and devour it. But like business books or self-development books, they sometimes take longer because your brain introspectively brings them in and takes them on board. Now, yeah. my, my favorite question to ask, and this is respective to, I prefer if you guys asked it in three ways. Uh, individually for both, and then one as a couple of how you actually overcame it. So, the first, the question is quite simply, sorry, my door's just being shut right now. Um, the way that I would actually ask this is, when your life, when you were knocked on your ass, what did you do to get yourself back up? Like, what was the thing when your confidence was completely destroyed, how did you build your confidence back up again? We're nodding at each other. Who's going to go first? Do you want me to go first? Yeah. yeah. It's interesting because I'm getting like, I had to take a deep breath before answering that question because it just brings like a flood of memories of literally being on the floor crippled with horrid panic attacks. Just, you know, the, the thing that used to run through my head was you worthless piece of shit. That was basically the compliment I used to give to myself. And it was without any specific meaning. It was just overall. It wasn't even because of this, because of that. It was just overall, you're just a worthless piece of shit. And I was like, how the fuck can you even say that to yourself when I think about it now? When I was unaware of what I am aware of right now, I was literally just, just letting it happen. And right now, I'm thinking that without even knowing back then, I was probably doing one of the best things because I was ob oblivious. So if it's something that cripples me to the level where I physically, it's the moment where in my head with the tools I've got right now and the understanding I've got right now, I know exactly what to do to get myself out of it, but I can't even, it's not even that nothing is working. I can't bring myself to implement anything. I just allow myself to be with it because I'm at the stage of understanding what that means right now, where I know that if it's, 
seemingly so bad that I'm crippled by it, there's something for me to learn from it. And until and unless I allow myself to be with it and feel it fully, regardless of how scary it might be in the moment, I'm just not going to get whatever it is that I'm meant to get from it. And surrendering to that has been one of the most challenging probably aspects of me actually understanding why it's showing up. And when I do do allow myself to surrender, then after that, when it's almost like the dust settles, then I can take steps in terms of understanding what's happening, whether I'm going to have a conversation with Cliff about it, whether it's something I discuss with our coaches or mentors, whether it's something that I sit down with a journal and have a self-conversation with myself, just going through writing, because writing is one of my my outlets as well, just as much as painting. I forgot to even mention that because it's just so obvious. So I might do that, but that's only ever after I've allowed myself to feel whatever it is that knocked me fully to understand that what the gift in it was, because ultimately there is a gift in every single knockdown that we might experience in our life. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So, yeah, for me, I suppose I'll take it from two sides. There's the old version of Cliff, the less aware version of me, um, and then there's me now, I suppose, how I'd react to it. So from a previous point of view, even probably two or three years ago, I'd be in a position where I'd, I'd just put my head down. Like literally, like I've always, I've always known that I'm here to do something, if that makes sense. Like there's, I've always had some pull of that I'm here to do something. What that something was, was very unclear, very almost like elusive. But even when I'd find myself in the most horrible positions, yeah, I'd get back up and I'm being honest, back then I didn't really know why. Like, I'd just get back up. Um, but, yeah, it was very short-term. It was quite forced, if that makes sense. It was almost, almost like, it, right? yeah, it was almost like a fight mentality. It was like, I can out-action this shit, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, that so that was one side of it. And it was just, it was a it was a roller coaster of a life. Like, it was, you know, it's not a place I'd go back to now, in hindsight, if that makes sense. So from a point of view, and it will probably sound similar, I suppose, to what Marta said, from when I, you know, if I was to find myself in a place of complete breakdown, everything was to fall apart, um, today, let's say, like, lose the house, the car, you know, me and Marta break up, you know, everything goes to shit, all our clients leave, everything like that, the the first thing I'll do is I'll, I'll sit there and I'll ask myself, why have I created this? Like, what is the purpose to it? And what will come after that, I'd never know. Because it might be that I need to fall to pieces and surrender, like Mark said. It might be that there's some immediate clarity. It might be somewhere in the middle, which is probably quite likely. Um, but I, in that moment, I could only be guided by that question. Because I think one of the things I did for the first 20 odd years of my life was not take any personal responsibility for any of my situations. So the question I always ask myself now, if anything comes up, regardless to how serious, um, it could be a client not paying or it could be, you know, something not being fulfilled, I'd be like, why have I co-created this? I could see that. So that actually hit me quite quite hard. Uh-huh. Yeah. Main reason. Well, I think... Go on. Yeah, go on. No, I was the same main reason is because I was living through that same lens for a long time. Yeah. 
How liberating is it when you actually shift that, right? Oh, massively. I mean, I've only shifted that on Saturday. Because I I think I posted a video about it because I went through a a very intense training. And um, I'm going to do like another show entirely on this one on my own where I basically found my life's purpose. And um, ever since then, I actually can't go back to not taking ownership of anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Even like in the moments where I really want to just be like, holy crap, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, my brain's not kind of like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's not going to work anymore. You do know what we're going to do. Let, let's go do that. Come on, let's go yeah. do some fun. You got this. But, and, and that's the thing about it is like, we always say this and it's like that me and Marta have been getting even clearer on even yesterday. We were sitting in a seminar and it's just the kind of people we serve and the kind of people that come into our world are very gifted people. Like very gifted people have a purpose in some way, shape or form. They're just, they're not quite sure how to shape it. Like from a point of view, how to deliver it with the fears they have or the self doubt or the, you know, belief issues that they have going on. And that could be from health. It could be from money relationships, wherever it might be. And they all equally impact how we put ourselves forward. But like you've said, once you uncover there is something, there's no going back from that. Like the most painful thing to do would be to try and go back from it. Yeah. You know, they actually did, um, there's a guy called Jordan Peterson. He was talking about this, about psychedelics. Um, and he was talking about that when people went down to, I think it was Peru, that he, it was this study they did. And they followed up with these people who went down to Peru and they did ayahuasca. Um, and they followed up with them a year later. And they found that these people took, even a year later, from just one ceremony, they took one whole standard deviation towards openness. Like, scientific study. Like, proper, like, done properly. And what he was saying is that the most pain that people are ever going to experience is try to go back to a reality that they're not there anymore. Because when you have that level of experience, and when you have that level of seeing or being connected to god or earth or whatever you want to call from them experiences you see such a level of truth of who you are which could be called purpose or whatever it might be that if you try and retract back to where you've been or who you've been that's going to cause an infinite amount of pain because you're not that person anymore it's the same we're not the same person moment to moment but in business for instance people they make a leap forward and this comes back to one of your earlier questions they make a leap forward get shit scared and they try and recoil back to someone they were rather than embrace the person they've become yeah that's really powerful and true now okay sorry i'm going to jump in on this one because like we're actually at my favorite part of the show and it is um it's kind of gonna be it's gonna be unique because you guys have a choice right now you guys do you want to answer this question together or do you guys want to answer it separately what is the question? I'm glad. I'm glad you asked. Okay, so the question is quite simple. The question is, um, if you could, sorry, if you could give three pieces of advice to anyone listening to this right now, and they're basically either struggling or they're plateauing, what piece of advice, what three pieces of advice would you give them and why? Together, separate. I think probably together, purely because we're so in alignment with each other and what we think and believe, there will probably be the same thing twice, I guess. So you go first, Tim. What's the first one? People that are struggling 
through, whether it's emotionally, feeling down, depressed, whatever you want to call it, or exhausted physically and drained physically, the first question would be, what is it that you are not expressing? Mm -hmm. Because the suppression that we're experiencing in life, in whatever way, shape or form, and that could show up physically or emotionally, depending on whatever stimulus the person's likely to respond to quicker, um, it's it's suppression of expression. Depression is the opposite of expression. So what is it that we're not expressing? Is it a conversation that you get to have with someone? Is it something like, for me, it was my painting. It took me a year to pick up fucking brushes and starting to paint, and I knew I had to do it. I was called and drawn to do it. And, you know, whatever it is, creative expression, sport, or, or a conversation with their loved one, or a conversation with someone they, they feel drawn to having a conversation for whatever reason. It could be someone at work. It could be anything and everything, but if we're feeling challenged and that we're struggling and it, it shows up as a as a suppression or depression of an aspect of us, it will be definitely what is it that you're not expressing. And curiously, rather than, oh, you're being a dickhead because you're not expressing, it's just like, if I'm feeling this way, why am I feeling this way and what is it that I'm not expressing? Because when you then actually realize what it is and go and do it, it just disappears. Whatever suppression we were experiencing is just not there anymore because there's no platform for it to exist. That's awesome. That's awesome. One. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, the second one, uh, I would probably go with when people are struggling, the, the suppression of desires, the suppression of who they want to be compared to who they're being is just fundamental. Like Without that, you know, cleared up and knowing what that is, people are going to struggle full stop. And I feel the second point to it is people being very out of alignment with their values. Um, so like from a point of view, people live other people's values. So they will show up, they'll wear this, what we would call a mask in order to fit in and to uh, have connection and love as we all want as humans, right? And we believe that we have to show up differently in front of mum and dad, in front of friends, family, work colleagues, mentors, peers, whatever it might be, right? We put all these different masks on. But that's fucking exhausting because you never actually take them off to be yourself or you forget who you really are in the start. So one of the things we always ask people to do is get really clear on who the fuck they are. Like, what, what are your values? What do you stand for? Like, what is it you stand for? And obviously, sometimes we forget <coughs> we stand against um, and what we, you know, what we don't believe in. And so when people get super clear on their values of what they really believe in deep down, what they're passionate about, then it's so much easier for them to start working out where, for instance, suppression is taking place or they're not living out desires or whatever it could be. So that would be probably what I'd say from the second point. That's a big... Yeah, for me to do the third one. What's that? Yeah, happy for me to do the third yeah, one. Yeah, perfect. Something you said specifically, you know, when people are struggling or plateauing, that's what I want to... Um, go into because very often we misinterpret plateaus because when we were talking about you know naturalization of something being natural and a normal normalization of something in our life and becoming the, the new normal that we live and operate out of when people think they plateau very often it's just when the process of normalization fully took place and it becomes their, their new reality and it's, it's almost like getting addicted. I always draw a simple staircase, just a few steps, a few lines on a piece of paper to, to the guys we work with. And it's almost like the 
when we're stepping up onto the first step, it's that first initial moment of awareness, shit, my life can be different, I can do so much more, I can have so much more, I can be so much more of me. And then at some point it feels like it's stopped, like almost the magic has stopped and everything seems normal or, or even boring for people. That's the moment where you know you start to embody the shifts and the changes that were so exciting to start with. Because if we say like, fucking hell, I can't believe it, this is crazy, this is like ridiculous, we're telling ourselves it's not normal. And it's like a one-off occurrence, but really, truly, if we're stepping into an even greater version of ourselves, we want that version of ourselves to become the new normal, the new me, right? right. So the, the plateau very often could be just misinterpreted, like, you know, you go up a step and you then get on top of that step and it's flat, it's flat surface. And before you take the next step, you stay on that flat surface. And sometimes you might stay there for a little while. Sometimes you take the next step straight away. Sometimes you leap two, three steps up in one go and it's again depending on where our personal journey and our personal evolution takes us but always when we feel like we've stopped and plateaued it's asking ourselves a question okay is it really that i require new stimulus right now to continue growing and expanding or is it that i i get to appreciate this moment as actually the integration moment oh i have become this version of me right now let's see what it's like here because i remember at the beginning of my exploration and the conscious evolution of me as a person, I got really addicted to the to the high of a breakthrough, to the high of a realization. And when those realizations and, and breakthroughs weren't coming daily, I'll be like, well, what the fuck is wrong with me now? And I didn't realize that I actually required time to integrate all the breakthroughs and the realizations that I had. Yeah, that's a big one. Because integration takes time and a lot of people don't even look at that. Absolutely. Guys, uh, we've basically hit our time. Thank you so much for being guests on the show today. I really appreciate you coming on and actually sharing all this amazing advice. Um, to the people listening, I love you all. But definitely go check out cliffandmarta.com. Sign up for their mailing list. Check out their stuff. They're absolutely amazing people you've heard. Uh, find them online because they're really easy and fun to follow. And you guys have a Facebook group as well, right? Yeah. The Unlimited Life Project free group. That's an amazing community where people hang out and they just are basically being being themselves. That's amazing. I love the fact that you guys have that. Guys, make sure you check out their website. Also, remember to review, comment, and share this episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. Uh, see you guys on the next episode. Um, and thanks again for being here, guys. And thank you again, Cliff and Martha, for sharing so much information and putting it with my voice. Thank you for having us. It was awesome.